This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 tonight will be concluding a short series that we have been in entitled Gripping God in order that we might let go of some things that hold us back in our sanctification. Gripping God so that we can let go of fear and anger and so many of the things that grip our hearts and let's be honest, make us unprepared for heaven. They really do. When we think about the blessed hope, those that have this hope within them purify themselves even as he is pure. A well-known Christian author wrote a book entitled Respectable Sins. We do have respectable sins. They're not respectable in the eyes of God. But we tend to dismiss them because it's not one of the bad ones, okay? And yet all sin is an offense to God, and all sin makes us unprepared to stand before the Savior. And so tonight we want to conclude by looking at a sin, a matter of the heart, that is one of those tough ones. Because at the basis of this sin is blame. And in fact, it's so easy for us to dismiss this sin because of blame. What others have done to us. What has happened in our lives. And and so, tonight we want to look at gripping God to overcome bitterness. Gripping God to overcome bitterness. Bitterness. The words bitter and bitterness are used throughout the scripture. Uh, About 40 times in the Old Testament, another 24 times in the New Testament. They're various forms. And within those various contexts, they speak of three principal areas where, where bitterness is seen. Uh, One that that we would understand is the physical sense of taste. Bitter herbs, for instance, and other bitter things that we can put in our mouth. Have you ever put something in your mouth and it has really gotten your attention? Because what you were biting into, uh, what you expected you were biting into, and what actually happened were two different things. Remember, as a youth pastor, I had a dear girl in our youth group, and she considered it a privilege to be able to harass the youth pastor. I walked into a youth activity one night, and the youth group knew that I like chocolate-covered cherries. Okay, I think they're going to be in heaven. I, I'm just That's my opinion. I get them for Christmas every year. That's not a good thing. It's shortening my lifespan this side of heaven. But I I love those things. And one night I walked into a youth activity, and this girl, Stephanie, bless her heart, I hope she's listening tonight, all right, 
She was handing out chocolate-covered cherries. Now, the bad thing is her mom was in on this, too. And she and her mother had taken candy molds and made a bunch of chocolate-covered cherries, but in one they put a chocolate-covered jalapeno pepper. And so she smiled at me as if nothing was happening and handed me that piece of candy. I bit into it, and it was bitter. And for the rest of the evening, I fought bitterness. <laughs> but I bit into that thing, and I chewed it, and I acted like it was the best chocolate-covered cherry I'd ever had because I was not going to give her the satisfaction <laughs> of seeing me suffer. Bitterness. Now, do you know that God created bitterness? I believe, remember, he puts things in nature to help us spiritually, right? And there are bitter things that he has made for us to taste to remind us, help us better understand the bitterness that can be in our own souls. Do you know that when God brought the children of Israel out of bondage, slavery, out of Egypt, that part of their celebrating God's deliverance was the feasts. And in a couple of those feasts, they ate bitter herbs. And tasting the bitterness was a reminder to them of the bitter suffering that they had had in Egypt. All right, so that's the first sense in which it's used in, in Scripture, physical sense of taste. Next, there's the emotion of sorrow that results from the negative circumstances of life. The emotion of sorrow that results from disappointment. I've already mentioned the misery of servitude, what Israel faced. Hurt or loss, especially bereavement. And that emotional uh, suffering, uh, the sorrow of that is often accompanied by, and this is key, feelings of blame. My life would be better. I would not be experiencing this if this hadn't happened. If someone hadn't done this to me. And along with the, the feelings of blame, there's malice, desire to get even, anger, that's often accompanied by biting words and criticism that flow from a bitter heart. You ever been around a bitter person? You can often tell, just let them open their mouth and let the heart overflow. They're bitter. They're bitter. And so, physical sense of taste, the, emotional, the emotion of sorrow resulting from negative circumstances of life. And then finally, the intense misery from forsaking God and a life of sin and impurity. Again, intense misery from forsaking God and a life of sin and impurity. Later we'll talk about why bitterness comes from that kind of a life. So, points two and three. Emotional sorrow from negative circumstances and the intense misery from forsaking God, living a life of sin. Those points are the focus of this study tonight. Though point one is a physical reminder again, even the taste of bitterness, physical reminder of spiritual 
of, of the spiritual and emotional reality. So consider the realities tonight of what God has said about bitterness. I want to quote for you Hebrews 12 and verse 15. And then we're going to look at how Hebrews 12, 15 is really uh, expressed in a unique way in, in Ephesians chapter 4 where you are at. Here's what Hebrews 12, 15 says. Looking diligently, looking inside diligently, examining your heart, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now let's stop for a moment. The subject that we're looking at tonight, if there's bitterness there, it's not just a bitterness of allowing circumstances to steal your joy and affect your relationship with God. But it really is a failure of allowing the grace of God to be at work in your heart. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. God doesn't want you to be troubled by bitterness. It's miserable. Lest that trouble you, and notice what it says, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness is not just one of those sins that we do by ourselves and nobody else is affected. It can destroy a life. It can cause someone to self-destruct and really infect others who are around them. Now you're in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 31. Notice the order of these sins. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I believe that what the Holy Spirit does in verse 31 is allows us to see the root of bitterness springing up. Now yes, in the context, these can be separate sins. These are sins that should be put away from us as the children of God. All right, But as you look at the verse, bitterness also leads to all those other things. Other things that can spring up, defile others while they destroy ourselves. Look at it. Wrath. Anger, clamor, that's yelling, evil speaking, trying to cut down the person that's caused us so much misery. Let that be put away from you with all malice. And then in verse 32, the key to bitterness is forgiveness. And we'll see that a little later as well. So let's begin tonight by looking at some causes of bitterness. Later we're going to see that Hebrews tells us every, or Proverbs tells us every heart knows its own bitterness. You know if you're bitter tonight. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, all I would have to do if I knew to do it is mention a certain name or a certain set of circumstances. And immediately a shadow might come over your heart negative feelings, and blame towards how someone, a spouse, a co-worker, an adult child, how someone in your life has mistreated you and caused you misery. So, 
Let's see if there's any bitterness there tonight that the Lord wants to help you to confess to Him and to get out of your heart. God wants to bring peace. So let's examine this and see if this may be rooted in the heart. Some causes of bitterness. First of all, the first cause of bitterness is this, the wrong choices of others that negatively impact me. The wrong choices of others that negatively impact me. We're told in Genesis 26, 34, and 35, that because Esau had a brother who was favored by mom, and you remember that Jacob deceived dad, and so the birthright, or the blessings of the birthright, was given to Jacob. The scripture says that to, says to get at his parents, he married two Hittite wives. They were pagans, they didn't know the Lord. But he knew that would grieve them, and he went ahead and did it. And so, the scripture tells us there, that Esau's choice of pagan wives were a grief of mind. The Hebrew is literally bitterness of spirit unto Isaac and to Rebekah. As we think about that, just note quickly Proverbs 17 and verse 25, where the scripture tells us there and warns parents and young people, Proverbs 17 and verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. The wrong choices of others can negatively impact me and cause bitterness. Naomi's life was severely impacted by her husband's decision to move the family to Moab. You'll remember in Ruth 1 and, and verse 20 when she comes back and they say, oh, Naomi has returned. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That is literally the Hebrew word for bitterness. Because God hath dealt bitterly, very bitterly with me. See what she's doing there? She's blaming the wrong choice, choices of others, and then the impact of those choices, she's blaming others for her negative circumstances. Now, Renee and I were talking about this earlier today, and I agree with her, we shouldn't be too hard on Naomi. Uh, she didn't wait to see what God was going to do. She had been through a really difficult time. But the bitterness was a result in her life of blaming the Lord and not waiting on the Lord. And we know from the book of Ruth, as she waited, God worked. But that's the first way that bitterness can come to the heart. Wrong choices of others that negatively impact me. Can you think of anyone who has made a decision and you're having to live with the consequences of that? And as you think about that, oh, that just that brings heartburn. Things could be different if they hadn't rebelled, if they hadn't done what they, if they hadn't been selfish. The next cause of bitterness, disappointment in the face of great need. The way your flesh views this is 
When you needed help the most, it wasn't there. Someone wasn't there. Or perhaps even in your opinion, God wasn't there. Exodus 15, 23 gives us an example of this. And when they, Israel, came to Marah, they had just left Egypt. They could not drink of the waters of, and here's what they named it, Marah. There's your Hebrew word again. They went to drink. They were thirsty. They're in the wilderness. They need help. They drink and, oh, it's bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Now, if you read on in that text, here's what happens. They drink of the water, and instead of turning to Moses and saying, Hey, can you talk to the Lord for us? We've got a problem here. What do they do? They complain. What did we say? That, that yelling, that anger, all that stuff that follows bitterness there in Ephesians chapter 4, it came out of Israel, not just this time, but multiple times. Why? Because of the bitterness. They were disappointed in the face of great need. They needed to drink. But instead of trusting the Lord, they start blaming. What did God, he had left us in Egypt. What is that? It's blaming. So disappointment in the face of great need. Next, bitterness can be caused by deep hurt, caused by the pride and insensitivity of others. Deep hurt caused by the pride and insensitivity of others. Would you turn over to 1 Samuel 1? If you're a study of God's word, you already know whose life we're going to look at here. This tugs at all of our hearts, if we're sensitive at all, but especially the hearts of you ladies, you sisters in Christ. Imagine what Hannah experienced, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 6. Remember, verse 5, God had closed up her womb. She couldn't have children. And her adversary, the other wife of her husband, also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Can you imagine the cruelty of that? It's bad enough to be arrogant about something like this. And again, God gives life. We don't decide. But imagine the cruelty, someone can't have a child, and yearly, regularly, you afflict that person with that. Now, that root of bitterness, <clears throat> does it spring up? Does it affect others? Verse 8, then said Elkanah, her husband, to her Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. But I love what she does here. Notice how she responds. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She poured out her heart. She poured out her bitterness to God, but deep hurt caused by the pride and insensitivity of others. You know that there are people that grow up bitter because they were bullied 
as a young person because they were neglected in some way. They get older and they get, they get passed over because of the politics in a workplace environment. And it's not fair, it's not just, and bitterness creeps in and it holds them back. Deep hurt caused by the pride and insensitivity of others. Next, an extended trial. An extended trial. Do you know which book in our Old Testament speaks probably the most about the matter of bitterness? Right up there with the book of Ruth. I heard somebody say, it's the book of Job. In fact, let's just take a moment to turn to Job and let's see what happens there. The man Job is going through a severe trial. He doesn't really understand what's happening, though through the eyes of the lens of Scripture, we get to see what is taking place. But watch what happens with Job. Job 7, and look at verse 11. Job speaking, therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Chapter 9, verse 18. He's speaking generally, but these, these comments are being made towards God, and I want you to hear the blame in his tone. He, God, will not suffer me to take my breath but filleth me with bitterness. Okay? So who's responsible for the bitterness? It's God's fault. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's how you can tell if somebody's battling with bitterness. It comes out. So an extended trial. Job's initial trust in the Lord eventually turned to questions and then to blame. With this in mind, let me remind our church family that when we have folks who are going through an extended trial, again, you do well to encourage, to call, to send notes and so on. But when you know someone's going through an extended trial, here's something to pray for for them. Lord, protect them, keep their heart from bitterness. I can't imagine battling cancer and battling cancer and so on and so on and so on. And isn't it true that many times with life, one thing hits you and just when you come up for air, another thing takes you back down? And that, that can happen and in those circumstances as they continue it's easy to become bitter. Finally, along with these other causes of bitterness, I've already mentioned deeply rooted sin. Sin can make you bitter. Here's an example in Acts 8 and verse 23. The Bible tells us that there's a man there, Simon, the sorcerer, 
who went and said to Peter, the apostle, I want to I give you money so that I can have the Holy Spirit. I, I want to be able to have the power that you have. Now in the text, it looks like just, here's, here's a, a new Christian, here's someone who's naive, who, who's making a foolish request. But it's interesting what the Holy Spirit shows us about this man. Peter says to him, you are in the gall of bitterness. Well, we, we didn't see that. What's that. What does that have to do with what Simon has said? Uh, Merrill Tenney commented on, the, on it this way. He said, a Samaria, the apostle Peter was... Uh, was constrained to rebuke Simon the sorcerer sternly when he attempted to buy the gift of the Spirit. He accused Simon of being in the, ball, the gall of bitterness, an expression intended to awaken the offender to the depth of his depravity and ungodliness. So what was happening in Simon's heart? There had been so much pagan sin in this man's life that when he does profess to follow the Lord, that, that sin is, is so deeply in there that he's blinded by the fact that he's bitter that he can't have what these others have because he's been held back by sin. And so he wants to get rid of the restraints of sin but he doesn't want to do it by confessing. He just wants to stay in his sin and continue to have, or, or try to have uh, this, this next uh, magic. And so what we find in this man's life is, is this bitterness is, that's there. And what Peter is doing is confronting, you need to deal with the sin in your heart. Before we can go any farther with anything else, you need to deal with the sin in your heart. Now here's the problem with sin that is not confessed in the heart. And if you want to write down Romans chapter 1, it gives us, gives us the answer to this. It helps us understand what's happening. That when a person knows God, and they're not willing to honor Him as God, when they knew not God and they glorified Him not as God, the Bible says that they're not thankful. Okay? Verse 21. They're not thankful. In other words, when, when God is not allowed to be our satisfaction and to be worshipped in His rightful place as God. And we push Him out. It leaves a void in our life that nothing can fill. The only way satisfaction is going to come back is if we put God there and we honor Him as God. We honor Him by honoring what He has said and we follow Him in righteousness, which is what we looked at this morning. But when people refuse to give God that glory and they keep pouring things in, here's what's going to happen. They're going to either become afraid because it's not working or they're going to become angry that it's not working. And instead of turning back to the Lord, if they keep doing that and they, self, they start self-destructing, guilt moves in, darkness moves in. Do you know what else moves in? Bitterness. Bitterness. And by the way, that, is, that helps to explain the reaction of sometimes young people who are, have been raised in our Christian homes 
And they decide to go their own way. Instead of seeing life through the lens of Scripture, instead of believing that God deserves to have his rightful place and he deserves to be worshipped and, and, and followed, when they turn away from that, what they're going to discover is the way of the transgressor is hard. But if they persist down that pathway, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make life happen and bring me satisfaction the way I want, ignoring what God has said. It is not going to work. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is finished, it leads to every time, death. But if they're going to persist down that road and not turn back to the Lord, one of the things that's going to come in is bitterness. And when that root of bitterness springs up, all of a sudden, those who agree with God, including Christian parents, maybe their pastor, those people all become the enemy. Why? Well, it's not really because they're the enemy. They're trying to warn, love, turn them back. They pray for them. But what happens is they're determined to go their own way. And some, some parents, Christian parents, you say, I talk to them and they just shut me down. They don't want to hear it. What could be the problem? Deeply rooted sin that now is evidenced in bitterness. The repeating of sin makes man better as God works or bitter, since the way of the transgressor cannot succeed. So what's God's remedy for bitterness? This is liberating truth tonight. So thankful that we can look at this together. God's remedy for bitterness. First of all, admit what you already know to be true. Admit what you already know to be true. You say, well, what is that? Proverbs 14, 10, the heart knoweth his own bitterness and literally the Hebrew there reads bitterness of soul. You know if you have a bitter heart, a bitter soul. You know it. Okay? Admit what you already know to be true. It starts there. Again, in Ephesians 4, the only way that, that a Christian can put those things off, we have to admit that they're there and they need to be put off. So admit what you already know to be true. Next, confess your reservoir of resentment against the one you believe wronged you. Again, confess your reservoir of resentment. That's, that's the way Jay Adams refers to this. That building up, the reservoir is getting more and more full. All right, Confess that against... To the Lord against uh, the one you believe wronged you. So that means agreeing with God about the sinful fruits of bitterness that have grown in your soul because of actual or perceived wrongs against you. Now let's go back to Ephesians 4. Within this context is the help that we need to overcome bitterness.
So agreeing with the Lord about the sinful fruits of bitterness. If you're bitter in your heart tonight, look at verse 31. Along with that blaming that your problems are because of someone else, something else, or let's be honest, maybe you're blaming God tonight. You deserve to be treated differently and he allowed whatever to happen. Let all bitterness and wrath, is there wrath and anger? Outburst or the slow burn. You, you just fume when you think about what's happened to you. Yelling, clamor, evil speaking. What have you said to degrade, cut someone down, gossip about those who have wronged you? What's the admonition? Put away. Put it away. Confess your reservoir of resentment. Bitterness and everything that goes along with it against the one you believe wrongs you. Now, this may be an actual wrong, or it may even be just a perceived wrong. Here's, what, here's the nasty truth about bitterness. You can be bitter against someone who you think wronged you, and the person may not even know that they did it. They have no idea. But you have built this case in your mind. The reservoir is filling up. They don't even know. It's just perceived. And if you would handle this biblically and go to them, we're going to talk about that in a moment, and talk this thing out, you would find out perhaps that you do, did make a mountain out of a molehill. That it... It isn't anything like you've perceived it to be, and yet you've built this case, and frankly, it's poisoned your heart. But the only way you're going to know is to handle it properly. So admit that you're bitter. Confess the reservoir of resentment. Look at everything that's there and confess it to the Lord. And then go to them. Go to them. Now let's talk about what needs to happen in your heart first. You need to confess your sin to God. Regardless of whatever they've done to you, your bitterness is an offense to God. Any gossip about that, that's an offense to God. Any hate, any anger, any of that, that's got to be confessed first so that God can work. All right. Along with this, if you look in Ephesians 4, go back up to verse 23. Verse 22 says, put off the old man. Okay, The, the bitterness, all that stuff. Verse 24, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 23 is the key to being able to get the bitterness out of your heart and your mind so that you can handle this and really solve it. And what does verse 23 say? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do we do that? We take the word of God, the washing of water by the word, and we just let the word of God, God's thoughts, cleanse and correct our thoughts when it comes to bitterness. Part of that 
is understanding forgiveness before you go and try to make something right with someone else. What does the Lord remind us of? I forgive you just like you're willing to forgive others. Many times with bitterness, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. But if I let the Word of God saturate my mind, you know what it reminds me of? I don't deserve forgiveness either. So why would I withhold it from somebody else? That doesn't please the Lord. All right? We're to grant it in the same way that He granted it to us. Now, once that work has happened in our hearts, cleansing, our minds have been focused and cleansed and our minds are right, then we go and try to resolve it with a person, whether it's a real or a perceived wrong. So, next we go and re we rebuke the offender in meekness so that we can forgive if he or she repents. We rebuke the offender in meekness so that he or she will, will be able to forgive them if they repent. So Galatians 6.1, what's it say? If a brother be taken in a fault, you that are spiritual, in other words, of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness. Okay? Remember, that word means to bow. It means to fall down. In other words, I've already gone before the Lord. I've asked the Lord to enable me. I've asked the Lord to see me for what I really am. And then I'm prepared to go help someone else, lest I be tempted as well. Turn over to Matthew 18. This is one of those great corrective passages where if we have aught with a brother, we go, and if they won't hear us, we take two or three. And if they won't hear them, we take it to the church. But I like verse 15. I think it's so important. Something to point out here. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, that thou, uh, uh, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. We tend to pass over the end of verse 15. Do you know what the whole point is? Reconciliation. Do you know why bitterness is such a grievous sin? Because we're to be reconciled with God and with each other. He has called us to peace. He is the God of unity. And there's not to be anything that stands between us. We're to reconcile ourselves with brothers or sisters where there is a problem. And so we go. Now... Many times, and this is why these passages are dear, Matthew 18, uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, uh, the end of the book of James talks again, more resolution, how God can reconcile and, and bring peace. I love those passages because most of the time that's exactly what happens. Not only do you gain a brother, but God strengthens your relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. It's amazing how grace works in those situations. But what if I go, I've, I've prepared my heart, I go, I try to solve this, and someone who has wronged me doesn't care. They won't listen. They are not interested 
in resolving this at all. Then what? Well, look at Luke 17, and we have the answer. Luke 17 and verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now let's just stop for a moment. There is some wrong thinking within the church today that we just need to forgive everybody no matter what. Do you know the scripture doesn't teach that? It does not teach that. We're to go, we're to rebuke him, and if he repent, then God allows us to forgive them, or here's another word, release them from their guilt. But what if they don't? What if they're not willing to do that? Well, you deserved, well, leave me alone, or in their arrogance, they're, they're not interested in making this right. Then what do you do? Here's what you do. You release them. Not because they've made it right, and so you can release them from their sin. Do you know where you release them? You release them to God. And what does God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So you release them to God. I will tell you, after 30 plus years of ministry, there have been people I've had to release to God. Otherwise, bitterness would be here. I've tried. They are not interested. Have you ever met people in life who can never do a wrong? I've met them. Can't do anything wrong. They're always right. They don't live in reality, just telling you. But sometimes you, you run into those folks, and then when you got, try to make something right, boy, they can slither and wiggle and try, you know. It's it, it, it just, it wasn't their fault. So you release them to God, and he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But here's what happens if we don't release them. We seek reconciliation. But if they're not willing to reconcile, you release them to God. If you hold that in, what's going to happen? Bitterness. It will take root. It will spring up. And others are going to be impacted by that. All right, so rebuke the offender. Most of the time, if you've gone prayed up, you go meekly, the right spirit, there will be reconciliation. But if that doesn't happen, finally release the offender from the sin uh, if they repent or to God. And if you don't do that, again, bitterness will spring so that's God's remedy for bitterness. The theme for the message tonight was the Lord's return. Those that have this hope within them purify themselves. Do you know that God isn't so interested in how you want others to view you? God is interested in what he knows you to be. And he wants you to have a clean heart. 
May God help us to be willing to grip Him and let His grace work in us to release us from any bitterness. That's His will. And by the way, that will bring deliverance to your heart. Freedom to your heart. And if you're right with the Lord, you get to go on experience His blessing. Those who are bitter, those who have wronged you in the past to tempt you to be bitter, God, God's going to deal with that. But you need to make sure, I need to make sure that we are right with the Lord and that this sin is not a part of our, our life as we prepare to meet Jesus. Let's bow our hearts and our heads. Father, Lord, bitterness is insidious. We can look at examples in the scripture. Thank you for the miracle that you did in Naomi's heart. And Father, the goodness of God in her case and in our cases leads us to repentance. But Father, we know that there are others like King Saul who were bitter because of their deep sin. And they then viewed themselves as the victim when in fact they'd walked away, he had walked away from you. And Lord, we see that how it consumed him, the destruction that it brought. Many were defiled. The nation of Israel was vulnerable to her enemies. The house of Saul was vulnerable because of the blindness, the bitterness brought to that king's heart. Lord, spare us from that. Father, help there to be truth in the inward parts if bitterness exists in our souls. Now, Father, as we conclude tonight, would you work in each life here? Lord, if there's a teenager bitter at mom and dad. There's a parent that's bitter at, at an adult child. If there's a Christian here tonight that's bitter against another Christian, maybe even bitter against their pastor, Lord, would you give us the grace this evening to make those things right? It's not worth it. And Lord, would you bring a reviving that would deal with that sin too? We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.